Aren't you thankful for the faithfulness of God today? And I have to say, you're sounding fantastic this morning. I like that acapella. I can hear your beautiful voices coming together this morning, and uh, you are a great choir today. And uh, it's been a great day already. We had a fantastic first service. Looking forward to what God's going to do here in this service and uh, believing that God is going to do something special. I'm looking forward to preaching from God's Word today. And uh, thank you so much for being here. You can go ahead and find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to grab it and go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. And uh, oh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a brand new series that we've been calling Stand Firm. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, diving into God's Word today and learning more about how we can stand firm. And uh, I love this thought when the world around us is shaking and, and people are consumed with fear and everything that's taking place, even in this year, the church ought to be the one place that we can stand firm and that uh, we can stand firm together. And so we've been studying First Peter and uh, we studied in the first few weeks, First Peter chapter number one. And uh, today we're going to be in First Peter chapter number two. And uh, we're going to study verses one through 12. Is anybody ready to dive into God's word today and to study God's word together? Yeah. We're going to study verses one through 12, but we're going to read verses one through five for our scripture reading time this morning. The Bible says this in First Peter chapter number two, wherefore laying aside all malice, all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire. Everybody say desire. desire. Desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ this morning as we study first Peter chapter 2 I want to bring a message today that I'm calling brick by brick brick by brick let's have a word of prayer together God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you today. Thank you for the earlier service that we had and the great things that you did uh, already this morning, but God, we're praying that you would uh, meet with us in a special way here in this service, and uh, God, I pray that we can have a holy attention to your word today, and God, realize that uh, nothing else matters uh, other than uh, what you have to say in your word. It's not really about what any one individual has to say, but God, we recognize that your word is the final authority in our lives. And so God, I pray that we can have a, a, a holy focus and, and uh, uh, consume, uh, consume our thoughts this morning with scripture and that we can understand what it looks like to stand firm and what it looks like to build brick by brick. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... 
Amen. How many of you like to do some DIY projects? Anybody like that? You like to do it yourself? How many of you have ever really messed up a DIY project? Anybody like that? Just totally messed it up. Tried to get creative on Pinterest. Didn't go so well. And uh, I think that's happened to all of us. And I remember when I was in high school, uh, my dad wanted me to stay busy one summer. And so he lined up some various projects for me to do. And uh, one of those projects was to install a brick fireplace. And I had never done that before, but I was kind of excited about installing a brick fireplace in our house. And so uh, my dad had a man from our church come and he was uh, showing me how to uh, install a brick fireplace. And he was showing me the, the long level that we needed and the bricks and, and the mortar that needed to be laid evenly and how to kind of slap that on and, and put the bricks on and line it all up. And I thought, how hard, this, uh, how hard can this be? And so I started doing it for a little while and I, I kind of got into a good rhythm, a good pace. And I just kind of started placing bricks everywhere. And I thought I did a good job and I thought I finished. And I, I, I took a step back and I looked at my handiwork and I realized that I had laid those uh, bricks completely crooked and they were just kind of all over the place. And it was literally so bad that my dad had to call a professional to tear out all those bricks and to install uh, new bricks after me. Uh, But that project of bricklaying definitely took uh, some time and some patience and some skill that I was not willing to put in. And I thought about that and I thought, as you study scripture, there's different types and, and pictures of the church. Uh, we see in Scripture that the church is compared to a bride, the bride of Christ. We see that the church is, is compared to a body. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. But we also learn that, uh, that, that the church is a building. And uh, we see this throughout the New Testament, these pictures of the church. And this is what Peter is going to talk about uh, in 1 Peter chapter number 2. Now, uh, a body, we know the significance of every uh, member of the body. Even if a part of your body might not seem very prominent, we recognize that every part of the body is significant, right? If you've ever stubbed your toe... You know, it might not be prominent, but it's significant, right? It hurts uh, when you stub your toe. And uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And so we are the body of Christ together. But we also learn that we are a building. Uh, We are a spiritual house. And uh, this is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And so we see that the church is compared and likened unto a building. And this is what Peter is teaching in 1 Peter chapter number 2. And in chapter number 1, Peter kind of talks in and leans in individually. And he says, hey, you need to remember your salvation and and be thankful for what God's doing in your life. But when we come to chapter 2, he's going to talk about the whole. He's going to talk about us as a unit, the church collectively. And he's saying that the church uh, is a building and we are to be built uh, up a spiritual house brick by brick. In fact, he actually calls the church, he calls you and I, living stones. He says that we're bricks. And uh, you might have heard uh, the famous quotation, the famous uh, story from uh, a king that was visiting the king of Sparta. And uh, the king of Sparta uh, was known for having these uh, massive walls, right? And everyone wanted to talk about his walls. And so a visiting king came and said, uh, he said to the king of Sparta, hey, I came to see your walls. I want to see these magnificent walls. And the king of Sparta pointed to his army, to his soldiers, And he said, these are my walls, every man a brick. And I believe that same statement and that same sentiment could be said about us, the church. Every man, every woman a brick. We are building uh, the church of God, this living spiritual house, brick by brick. 
How many of you uh, have ever looked on Zillow or Redfin or something like that? Ever been on those websites before? They, they're kind of interesting. They tell you a little bit of, uh, more information about uh, different houses and homes. And my wife, Katie, loves to look on Zillow just for fun, not even looking for a house to buy, but just kind of wanting to know the neighborhood, I guess. And, and uh, uh, she's constantly looking on Zillow, learning the features of different uh, homes and houses. And uh, you can learn the square footage and how many bathrooms and maybe the history of the house and how much it's sold for and how much it's uh, the Zestimate, how much it's worth now, right? And you can kind of look at all of these details. But as we look to 1 Peter chapter 2, what I want you to see and what I want us to approach this chapter with is 1 Peter chapter 2 is, is the Zillow of the church, of the spiritual house. Peter's going to say, hey, here's some features of the church. Here's how the church should function. Here's how the church should operate. Here's our role, our part within the church. And so uh, Peter is going to show us uh, our role and answer the question, really, what are we doing here? Like, why do we gather together and what is the purpose and the function of the church as we come to gather together as God's people uh, individually and corporately? Uh, What is our role? What is the purpose? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give us four purposes of the church. Would that be all right this morning? Uh, Four purposes, four functions of the church. Number one today, if you want to take notes, number one is this. We enjoy God's goodness. We enjoy God's goodness. As God's people, as a spiritual house, we enjoy God's goodness. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Can I encourage somebody today that God wants you to experience joy and that God wants you to experience the fullness of joy? Uh, But in his 11, the main, and so we are to enjoy God's goodness. And this is something that Peter is going to unpack for us in these first few verses. But if we are going to enjoy God's goodness, it involves two things. First, it involves what we destroy. It involves what we discard. If we are going to enjoy God's goodness, there's some things that we need to get rid of. All right? Notice verse number one. Let's pick up our text in verse number one. And uh, if you have a Bible today or if you have a phone or something that you can look to, would you say amen? amen? Verse number one. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, Now, Peter says, laying aside. Now, we might read that as a casual, kind of a non-aggressive term, like just laying something aside. I'm just going to set something down over here for a little bit. I might come back and pick it back up. But in the Greek language, it's not not like that. It's not so uh, simple. It's talking about an aggressive uh, casting off of a garment. In fact, uh, to kind of get a picture in your mind, it's talking about casting off a dirty or a soiled garment. If you're just dirty and you just want to get those clothes off, you're going to cast them off. He's saying, hey, you have to destroy some things. Now, he's going to list five things that we must destroy in order to enjoy God's goodness, okay? Uh, the first is, is malice. Now, malice means ill will. If you've ever had ill will towards someone, he says, hey, we've got to put that aside. Then he says, and guile. Guile is uh, deception. If you are uh, deceiving uh, someone to, for your own benefit, if you're not uh, telling the truth, he says guile. Then he says hypocrisies. That literally means to play a role, to play a part as an actor. He says, you got to put that aside. And then he says, envies. Uh, I read recently that envy is, is often the last sin to die. It's, it's always hanging around. There's always envy that's wanting to infiltrate our heart and make room in our heart. Even the apostles who spent years with Jesus struggled with envy. He says, put this aside. And then he says, evil speakings. 
Uh, evil speaking carries the connotation of gossip and defamation and talking about someone behind their back and, and, and belittling someone else when they're not there to defend themselves. By the way, be careful if someone is comfortable coming to you to talk bad about someone else because if they're comfortable coming to you to talk bad about someone else, they're probably going to talk bad about you to someone else. And he says, be careful that you put away evil speakings and gossip and defamation. In fact, William Barclay, he said this, disparaging gossip is something which everyone admits to be wrong and which at the same time almost everyone enjoys. And yet there is nothing more likely to produce heartbreak and nothing is so destructive of mutual love and Christian unity than evil speakings and gossip and defamation and speaking ill will of someone. And see, a lot of times we might think, well, I'm not, I'm not saying anything, but I'm just there part of the conversation. I might not be the one saying it, but I'm listening and I'm liking, I'm liking what I'm hearing. So you might not be the perpetrator, but you can certainly be an accomplice. Peter says, if you want to experience and enjoy God's goodness, you have to be willing to discard some things. You have to be willing, what Colossians says, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You have to be willing to put some things away, to lay some things aside so that you can enjoy God's goodness. He says, put these things away. We have to destroy some things, but then also we have to desire some things. If you're tracking with me, would you say amen? Amen. Now notice what he says in verse 2. As newborn babes, desire. So it's not just what we destroy, it's also what we desire. It's what we're going after. It's what we long for. What does he say that we are to desire as followers of Jesus? The sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. By the way, you know what one of the purposes of the spiritual house is for? To grow. (laughs) Hey, hey, we're not just going through it. We're growing through it. We're we're here to grow together. How do we grow? By the sincere milk of the word of God. We desire uh, the word of God. It's, it's, It's a matter of what we destroy, but it's a matter of what we desire. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Uh, the psalmist just loved and enjoyed the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, recently, uh, we went uh, on a family day. Just this past week, we went to Bass Pro Shop. And uh, the reason we went to Bass Pro Shop was not really to get anything, but um, Disneyland was closed, and Bass Pro Shop is a close second to Disneyland. And so we thought we would just go and uh, enjoy the day there. We looked at the fish in Bass Pro Shop and went around as a family. And uh, my son, Luke, he loves sweets. Uh, he's all about candy. He's all about ice cream. He's all about uh, uh, sweets. My daughter, Liv, is different. She likes uh, chips and salsa. She's a little bit more savory. How many of you are a little more savory than sweet? Anybody like that? And uh, that's my daughter, Liv. But Luke... He's all about the sweets. And uh, as we were walking out, uh, we weren't planning on getting anything, but my wife Katie saw a moon pie in the checkout stand, and uh, she was like, I've never had a moon pie. And uh, how many of you have actually had a moon pie? Okay, several of you. Um, I tried it. I'll give it a B minus. It was just, it was just okay. And uh, Katie, she got a moon pie, and uh, Luke, he got some Smarties, and he loves Smarties. And uh, we actually told him about a year ago that if you eat Smarties, you become smart. And so he eats Smarties almost every day on the way to school, and he is just getting brain power. And uh, so uh, we went outside of Bass Pro Shop, and we were sitting there on the bench, and Luke was eating Smarties, and Katie was eating a moon pie. And she had a couple bites of that moon pie, and she thought, this is, this is okay, but I don't think I'm going to finish it. And she said, I think I'm going to throw it away. Well, as soon as she said, I think I'm going to throw it away, my son Luke, uh, he got this concerned look in his eyes. And very passionately, he says, you can't waste it. (laughs) You can't waste the chocolate. He was like, give it to me. And so he finished that moon pie and finished all of his Smarties, and he was a happy camper. But as you can imagine, especially as you parents can imagine, it was very difficult for him to finish dinner that night, right? 
it was difficult to get him to eat all of his food at dinner. And uh, I think so often in life we fail to enjoy God's goodness and taste of God's goodness because we're filling up on a worldly appetite. We're filling up on that which is carnal rather than that which is spiritual. Peter says you can't enjoy the goodness of God if your life is consumed and if you are filled with evil speaking and guile and malice and envy. He says if that is characterizing your life, no wonder there's joy that is absent in your life. It's about what you destroy, but it's about what you desire. And you have to desire the sincere milk of the word so that we can grow thereby. We ought to have a hungering and a longing for the word of God. And so often we don't have a hungering to dive into God's word on a daily basis because we're filled up on our worldly appetite. And by what the, what the culture is feeding us and what entertainment is feeding us. But we need to dive into the words of God because the words of God contain life. This is not just an ancient book. This is God speaking to us. Peter says we ought to desire, like, like a newborn babe desires that milk, we ought to desire the word of God. In fact, the author of Hebrews even takes it a step further. He says in Hebrews 5.12, uh, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He says there comes a point in your spiritual life when you ought to move beyond the milk and, and, and the shallow and the surface things and the elementary doctrines. And he says there comes a time when you ought to uh, crave and desire the meat of God's word and say, you know, I want to dive deeper into God's word. And I'm going to dive deeper in my small group. And I'm going to dive deeper in my personal devotions. And, and man, I want to get deeper into God's word. I want the meat. But I have that desire for the word of God. Then he says this in verse number three. So he's saying, hey, it's what you destroy, it's what you desire. Then verse, verse three, he says, if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And I don't know about you, but when I just think about the wonderful reality of salvation, and when I think about what God has done for me and how he sent his only begotten son to go to the cross and to die in my place, I just find joy in thinking about the Lord and his graciousness and his grace toward me. If you have tasted that the Lord is good... As Christians, every once in a while, as followers of Jesus, we ought to pause and taste and see that the Lord is good. And yes, life might be hard and 2020 might be confusing and there might be uh, relationships that are broken and hurting. and We're trying to navigate the mess, but we can taste and see that the Lord is good and his loving kindness endures for all generations. By the way, the kindness of God is our greatest incentive for Christian service obligated and we kind of just feel like well if I don't do this I'll be in trouble and this is kind of just my my obligation the kindness of Jesus that kindness is the greatest incentive it's the greatest motivation for us to say no we get to do this I want to serve Jesus I want to give up my life back to him for everything that he's done for me it's not a have to it's a get to and so Peter says taste and see the Lord is good if, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious so what are we doing here as a church well one we can enjoy God's goodness but we have to discard some things. We have to desire the word of God. When we come into God's house, this spiritual house, what are we doing? We're, we're learning from God's word. Every time we open up God's word, what is God trying to teach me? What is God trying to communicate to me? How can I leave these doors differently because of God's word? We enjoy his goodness. Here's the second thought today. Uh, the second purpose is this. We encounter God's presence. We encounter God's presence. And we see in verse number four, his presence, it says, to whom coming, 
to whom coming. Now, who's he talking about there? And what does that mean, to whom coming? Well, he's talking about how we have the privilege as believers to go to Christ, that we have the privilege to come to God and that we can encounter his presence, to whom coming. Uh, He's saying we can go to God, to whom coming as unto a living stone. Who's the living stone? It's Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. And the reason why we can say there is a living stone is because Jesus resurrected from the grave. He is alive and well. And so Peter says uh, we can go unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And so we see that we can encounter God's presence by going to him. Now, we have to understand a little bit of background as to who Peter is writing to and and kind of uh, the connotation of what's taking place so that we can have a full understanding and appreciation of what Peter is communicating. Because in the Old Testament, God's manifest presence was uh, in the temple, right? That's where they would go to experience God's manifest presence. We, We know that there's a difference, and we need to know that there's a difference between God's uh, omnipresence, his, his all-pervading presence, and then his manifest presence. God's omnipresence, his all-pervading presence, means that God is everywhere at all time in every place. We know that, 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 that God is in all places. Even the psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell or if I send up into heaven, the Lord is there. God, God, is, God is everywhere. We know that about his character. And so that's God's omnipresence, but his manifest presence is when God shows up in a special way. And sometimes we say, man, God showed up in that service today. And, and man, I was reading my Bible this morning, and God spoke to me, and God showed up to me. And we, we experience God's manifold, uh, manifest presence in a special way. So in the Old Testament, where did God's manifest presence dwell? The temple, right? <laughs> uh, the temple. In the New Testament... In the New Testament, uh, Paul comes along and he says this in the book of Acts. He says this in Acts 17, 24. God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And so we come into the New Testament and we see that God is not confined to a specific location or confined to a specific building. We know that as followers of Jesus, the moment that you got saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit indwelled within you at the moment of salvation. And 1 Corinthians 6 says this, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which you have of God, and ye are not your own. And so the Holy Spirit lives within us, and now our body is the temple uh, that houses the Holy Spirit. And so we can encounter God's presence. He says that in verse 4. We can, we can go to him, to whom coming as unto a living stone. And so we can encounter his presence, but I want you to see this also. We can expect his pain. We can expect his pain. Because what does he say in verse number 4? He says, to whom coming, we can go to God, We can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can encounter his presence as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men. That means to be rejected of men, but chosen of God and precious. Jesus was rejected of men. Think about that. Jesus came to earth, lived a perfectly sinless life, loved, showed mercy, showed compassion, and he came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. And and this is the theme of, if you read verses 6 through 8, notice verse 6, it says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So if you put your faith in Jesus, you will not be condemned. You will have life everlasting and life eternal. That's a quotation from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And then he says in verse number seven unto you, therefore, which believe uh, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Everybody say offense. Offense. 
See, so many people were offended and are offended with Jesus because Jesus was a friend of sinners and a friend of publicans. And so that was offensive to them. That was offensive to their culture. They wanted Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom, but Jesus came not to just simply establish an earthly kingdom. He came to establish an eternal kingdom, but since they couldn't compute that, they were offended. Because they were offended, they rejected him. He was disallowed in deed of men. See, in ancient culture, when they would start a construction project, they would gather all the bricks together, and they would kind of examine the bricks. They would go through this examination process, and if there was a brick that was misshaped or disfigured or it was chipped a little bit, they would cast it aside. They would reject that brick. They would reject that stone, and that's what they did to Jesus. They rejected him. And as followers of Jesus, I want you to know today that that we can, too, expect his pain, that we, too, will experience rejection. We too will experience hurt and pain in this journey called life. I remember my very first college basketball game. I was excited about playing this first game and I was a little bit nervous and I checked into the game and uh, I went over, I got the ball, I dribbled to the baseline, I rose up, I was going to shoot the ball and immediately I was blocked. Someone rejected me and uh, it was a hard block and it went all the way into the stands and went out of bounds, which made matters worse because then the game paused and everyone kind of just looked at me for a second in my humiliation. And uh, not only that, someone on the yearbook team literally got a picture of the exact moment and it is to this day in the yearbook where I went to college, a picture of me getting rejected in my first college basketball game. I was blocked in that moment. Rejection is no fun, right? Rejection hurts. We are all going to experience rejection at some point in life, but I want to encourage somebody today that even Jesus experienced rejection, and Jesus knew all about pain. He knew all about hurt. Jesus has some scars too. Jesus was rejected, disallowed, indeed of men but here's where Peter's saying hey we're a spiritual house we're the church that means the church is a place to make sense of rejection the church is a place to make sense of of the broken pieces the the church is a place where we can come together and find healing and find hope for the hurting Peter's saying hey yes Jesus was rejected and yes we're going to experience pain and we're going to experience rejection but there is hope there is hope There is the possibility of healing. How do we know that? Because look at verse number seven. It says this, unto you therefore which believe he is precious. By the way, how many of you believe today that Jesus is precious? Uh, That Jesus is chosen? He says, for you which believe that he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed. Remember, they were going through that examination process and they disallowed Jesus. They they cast Jesus to the side. They rejected Jesus there in verse seven. The same is made the head of the corner. And what that means is that rejected stone, when they rejected Jesus because of the resurrection, that rejected stone became the cornerstone. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he came back to life and he was rejected, but now he's resurrected. And because of his resurrection, we can experience redemption and we can experience hope today. He is our cornerstone. And somebody needs to hear this today in 2020 that Jesus is our firm foundation, that he is our cornerstone because so often in life we are just tossed about by the winds and the rain and all the difficulties that comes in our direction. But what we need to remember is that we still have a hope that is an anchor for our soul, that we have a firm foundation, a cornerstone so that we can have stability even in the storm. A cornerstone. Yeah, he was rejected of men, but he was chosen of God and precious. And he was rejected, but he became selected as the cornerstone. And so we can encounter his presence 
as the spiritual house, but we can expect his pain. We're going to be rejected. We're going to experience hurt. I love what Paul writes in his final words, this final letter that he writes to a young pastor named Timothy. And he says this. He kind of shares something personal with Timothy. He says, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Imagine all the work that Paul did, all of his missionary journeys, all the people that he invested in, all the people that he led to Christ, all the churches that he started. And he said, after all that, everyone left me. All men forsook me. Imagine the pain. See, Paul's greatest pain was not the stones that were thrown at him. Paul's greatest pain was not the beating that he took in Philippi. It wasn't being stoned at Lystra. His greatest pain was from the people that he invested so much in. He said, they all deserted me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. He says, even though they've hurt me so much, I want to forgive them. I still love them. I still care about them. I still want the best for them. I pray to God that it would not be laid to their charge, not fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear that I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. See, Paul found hope and encouragement in the fact that Jesus stood by his side and that Jesus encouraged him and that even though everyone else might have left him, he said, but you know what? Jesus is still with me and he will give me the strength to move forward. He'll give me the strength that I need. Jesus stood with me. And so we see, what is the purpose of the church? Well, we come together to enjoy God's goodness, to taste that he is gracious. But then we can encounter his presence because to whom coming? We can go to God. We can encounter his presence. But here's the third thought today. We engage in true worship. What do we do as the church? Well, we engage in true worship. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can subjectivize worship and we can kind of make worship fit in our box and our definition. But we have to be careful that, that we understand what true worship really is. William Temple said this, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. So we see this picture of worship, and Peter's going to talk about true worship, and as the church, what are we to do? And it involves, it involves two things. First, uh, it involves our place, your place, okay? And we see it in verse number five. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to check out verse number five. It says this, ye also, so he's saying you too. A lot of times if we're not careful, we'll listen to a message, we'll read God's word, and we'll think about that person. They need to hear this. Oh, they need to listen to this verse. But Peter says, hey, you too, <laughs> think it, ponder the path of thy feet. He says, you also, as li living stones, as lively stones, as spiritual bricks in the house of God are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so he says, you also, you are lively stones. You are bricks in God's house. And what that tells us is that every person has a place in the house of God. Every person has a place. Every brick has a place. This tells us that Christianity is really impossible without community. Because what good is a brick in isolation? A brick in isolation can really be dangerous. You can use it as a weapon. You can throw it through a window. But a brick in community becomes a powerful thing. A, a brick in harmony, a brick in community becomes something that is filled with strength and, and stability. And so he says, hey, we are a spiritual house being built brick by brick by brick. 
every person matters. Every person has a place. Every person is a brick in God's house. That means that your story matters because your story is connected to a much bigger story, to a much bigger house, a spiritual house. Every person has a place. And by the way, if you're struggling today, if you're hurting, if you're confused, if you're broken, I just want you to know that you have a place at Rock Hill. And that you have a place here in God's house. And you have a place here because God wants you to have a place. And, and God sent his son so that you could have a place in his house. And so we see that we have a place. There's something powerful about Christian community. I, I read a quote by C.S. Lewis, Lewis recently that really stuck out to me and really encouraged me. And uh, C.S. Lewis had a, a really close-knit group of friends. And they called themselves the Inklings. And uh, 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 C.S. Lewis wrote so many classics, and, and uh, uh, one of the members of his club, The Inklings, was J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, and, and uh, uh, he had these uh, friends that came together. Charles Williams was one of his friends, and Charles Williams, who was a member of this group of Inklings, he passed away. And after he passed away, C.S. Lewis wrote about the passing of his friend, and what, I, uh, what he says, I believe, is so profound uh, for us even in this moment. He said this, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see again Ronald's, uh, Tolkien's, reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. You would think that since his friend Charles passed away, now he had more time and dedication to give to his friend Ronald. But he said, actually, the opposite is true. Charles could bring out things in Ronald that I can't bring out, so now I have less of Ronald. And what we see is this powerful picture of community that we are better together. And in diversity, there is strength. And even though we might be a little bit different, hey, uh, we are striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we are building up a spiritual house brick by brick. Every brick matters. Every brick has a place. And so we see not only your place, but I want you to see also your priesthood. Now, maybe you've never thought about this, but you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a believer priest. Now, in the Old Testament and in the ancient world, a priest was a professional position that they would go and that they would uh, access uh, the presence of God and they would make sacrifices on behalf of the people, kind of that mediator. Uh, in fact, the high priest was the only person who had access to the Holy of Holies to encounter God's presence. And uh, many people in the New Testament, uh, David and Solomon, even though they were great giants in the Old Testament, even they were barred from the priesthood. And, uh, and so we see in the Old Testament, it was a little bit different. Now Peter says in the New Testament, because Jesus went to the cross, that veil that separated us and God was torn from the top uh, to the bottom. And now we have access to God. And what that's called is the priesthood of the believer. Now we can go to God and we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And this is what Peter says here in verse number five, when he says, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. Can I just encourage you today that as a believer priest, you have access to God and you can boldly approach him and you can go to him anytime you need. And so as a, as a believer priest, we can go to God, we can access his presence, Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. But as a believer priest, it says in verse number five also, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, think back again to the Old Testament. What was one of the responsibilities of a priest? 
to make sacrifices, animal sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, we don't do that today because Jesus was our perfect final sacrifice. And uh, uh, because of his sacrifice, now uh, we can have a right standing with God and we can be justified and declared righteous. Uh, but Peter says, but we are still to make sacrifices. But it's not an animal sacrifice, thank goodness. But they're spiritual sacrifices. And now, now what would be a spiritual sacrifice as a priest as a believer priest, that we are to bring to God. Well, Hebrews tells us that there is the sacrifice of praise that is to be continually on our lips, even when we don't feel like it. That's why it's a sacrifice. We make the time to praise. We can sacrifice our finances, our resources. Philippians 4 says that that is a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. Romans 12.1 puts it so succinctly that it's our calling, it's our duty to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, uh, but to be renewed in our minds and to present our bodies a what? Living sacrifice. And so when we come together and we serve and we serve uh, back in the media booth and we serve as an usher and we serve in kid space and we serve at, on the parking team, what we're doing is we're offer, offering up a spiritual sacrifice for the Lord, saying this is for you. It's not for someone sitting next to me. It's certainly not for Pastor Matt. No, it's for the Lord. We do what we do for him and for the audience of one. As believer priests, we make these sacrifices for God. That's what the church is really about. We have a place, but we have a priesthood. We're here to serve. We're here to access God and come to him. So Peter says, remember your priesthood. And this, comes, this brings us to our last thought today, number four. Do you have one more in you today? Number four, the fourth purpose is this. We express God's glory. We express God's glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God's glory. Two ways, I believe, as we close today. First, communication. We express God's glory. Notice verse number nine. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth... Everybody say, show forth. show forth. You should communicate, verbally communicate. You should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hey, as Christians, we have something to say. Hey, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are called to show forth his praises and to communicate his praises with our mouths, with what we say. Can I encourage you today to uh, use your speech for the purpose of edification, to build other people up? We don't want to use our words as bullets to bring people down, but as bricks to build people up. Colossians says that our speech ought always to be seasoned with salt, that we make what our words say attractive. That means what we post on social media what we communicate to family, what we communicate to friends, what we communicate to our church members that we're serving with. Let's use our words to build people up. Hey, we're called as a holy nation, as a peculiar people, as a royal priesthood to show forth his praises. And we do that verbally with our words. But we also do it communication and then through visible conduct. By the way, verses today, Verse number 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, urge you as strangers and pilgrims. Does that sound familiar? Strangers and pilgrims. Remember, a stranger is someone that is away from home. A pilgrim is someone that is going home. 
and as strangers and pilgrims, we are, we're away from home. Heaven is our home. But we are going home as pilgrims. We ought to be homesick for heaven. We ought to just have that urge and longing to see Jesus one day. He says, you're strangers and pilgrims. You're just passing through. Abstain then from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. And a little bit of background would be helpful. Uh, there were so many Gentiles in this day in the ancient culture. And when Peter was writing this letter, that were accusing the church of all kinds of things. Uh, the church was um, uh, accused of uh, being uh, malicious. And, and the church was accused of just being, wanting money or uh, all kinds of different things. And so uh, they were talking bad about Christians and throwing these slanders. And he says, so then have your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, even though they're going to taint your reputation, they're going to try to speak ill of you what, what, what should our response be someone's talking bad about us and someone's belittling our character when our character's upright should we fight back put them in their place put them on blast this is what we should do they may buy your good works which they shall behold when they watch you when they're looking for ammo when they're reaching back to try to find any darts to throw in your direction which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what is he saying? Hey, when people are slandering you, when people are mistreating you and misaligning you, what should you do? Live your life in such a way that beautifies the gospel. Adorn the gospel message. They can throw darts and they can throw things, but don't let them stick. Live your life in an exemplary way and let your conduct speak volumes of the gospel. And if you do that, if you just live a consistent life, and you do your best to obey God's word and you're faithful and nobody's going to be perfect. But if you do your best to live a consistent life according to the word of God, he says that they may see your good works and see you loving your neighbor and see you faithful. And they too will glorify God on the day of visitation. What does that mean? That by your reputation and by your testimony, they just might get saved. They just might turn their life around so that when Jesus returns, there will be people that glorify God on the day of visitation because of the way that we carried our lives. We communicate verbally, but so often we communicate just the way that we live our lives. Peter's saying, let's live in a way that adorns the gospel message. The world is watching, and we're called to make a difference. And I want to read one final verse, but I want to ask you to stay with me as I read a final verse this morning. We are bricks in God's spiritual house. We're living stones. And a lot of times we can get caught up in what's taking place in the world and we can get confused and stressed and discouraged. And even what's taking place in 2020, we can sometimes just be a little bit overwhelmed. But can I give you an encouraging reminder that Jesus told us? He said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, and I say unto thee also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
Can I encourage somebody today that the government will not prevail against the church, that a virus will not prevail against the church, that the devil himself will not prevail against the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that Jesus said and he promised, I will build my church. And he is advancing his kingdom and he is moving his kingdom forward and he's doing it brick by brick. We have a role to play. This is bigger than any one of us, but collectively as bricks, one upon another upon another, we can make a difference. We can change our community. We can share the love of Jesus to our world and build up this spiritual house. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.